This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Ellen Wilton. Yes, because the theory is that can we really hold space for people if we're coming from that place of the, the traditional academia world? You know, in the music therapy world, it's an interesting dynamic because many people believe, well, if you're in academia, if you're a professor, if you, if you know the knowledge, then you're better. But in reality, when we sit with our clients, do they really need to know what we know? Do they really need to feel like we are the expert? Or do we want to empower them to believe that they are the export, expert and start where they are? Do we want to sit and hold space for their growth and their expansion? Because I think traditional academia makes it about us and it's really not about us. So moving into that space of contemplation, presence and truly just being with someone in the music or in the session. I think that's what's transformative. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today's interview with Ellen is honestly a really nice one. We talked about how she has incorporated different modalities into her music therapy practice, including crystal singing bowls, meditation, essential oils, um, wellness-related stuff, and how she gears her practice towards wellness in general. Uh, and we also talk about the importance of each of us honing in on our unique skill set, interests, passions, and creating our practice around those things so that we can best serve the clients we are called to, um, that we most align with, and so we can serve them to our highest capacity. If you're enjoying the podcast, please let us know by leaving a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help the show be more visible. You can also find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles, and please consider joining our Facebook group. If you didn't catch my episode a couple weeks ago with Kate Shannon, then you may have missed our announcement about MTPC or the Music Therapy Podcast Collective. We are launching this week and over at MTPC we are excited to um, have 
CMTE opportunities for you. Uh, CMTEs you can earn through listening to the podcast. So we have some exciting initiatives going on with this launch. If you did miss that announcement episode, please go check that out because it'll have all the information you should need to know what's going on. And then obviously check out the website too and maybe grab yourself some CMTEs. Last week was the start of our launch and during our initial launch, 50% of all sales will be donated to music therapy scholarships. So I hope you're excited about that. We are, but for now, let's get into this conversation with Ellen. All right, Ellen, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm glad we were able to coordinate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? And that could be music therapy related or anything else about yourself. Sure. I'd love to. Um, well, I'm a music therapist, obviously board certified. I I came out of a coma to music when I was 12, which is why I went into music therapy. I didn't know that it was a thing, actually, but I uh, was kicked in the head by a horse when I was 12 years old, and uh, my parents were told to play things at my bedside to try and stimulate my mind, and they were playing mostly kids' movies and, you know, cartoons and things that I loved. One of the movies was a Disney movie that was predominantly music, I think 90%, maybe more than 90%. And it was that music that I attached to. And I remember having it call me into consciousness. I remember pulling it in and trying to hear it more and more. It was so much more than that. I had a near-death experience as well and um, chose to use music for healing. And, uh, and then I came back and woke up. And so I went to my undergrad and then did my graduate studies at Naropa University, which is a Buddhist-founded university in Boulder, and I mastered in transpersonal counseling psychology with an emphasis in music therapy, so a very long degree, but very worthwhile and wonderful, so. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Um, well, I guess I'll ask you. There's, there's so many different avenues we could take there, so what do you want to okay. dive into first? You know, I think we just go with whatever calls our attention. I'm happy to talk about anything. I know that the way that I do music therapy is a little untraditional compared to others. And, you know, in this field, we've always fought for evidence-based, you know, interventions. And sometimes that's hard to see when working in the spiritual and emotional realm. Mm. Um, however, the the changes and incredible things that I've seen as a music therapist have been beyond what you can explain and beyond, I think, what evidence would even show the shifts in people. So, you know, I think just go with whatever you want. We've got time here. It's choose your own adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a great metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I guess let's start with you. You studied at a school that you said um, was was grounded in Buddhist philosophy. Is that how mm -hmm. you? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. So Naropa University is the only one of its kind in the world that I know of. It was founded by the Dalai Lama and it is the studies are entrenched in 
contemplative practices. So in part, we learn the philosophies and the theories of you know, more Jungian psychology, kind of existential humanistic, a lot of the work from Groff, but simultaneous to the learning, we are placed in groups where you learn and are therapists for each other, so it's very experiential, and meanwhile, you're expected to meditate many, many hours a day and, and attend meditation instruction and learn about altered states of consciousness and how they can help to tap into different elements of the psyche. So the psychological program was in-depth, different than anything I think I've ever heard of since, and incredibly, incredibly effective at helping others. And the music therapy part of it came in through the traditional training. And Nordoff Robbins uh, was part of, you know, our training, improvisational. And Clive Robbins actually came to Naropa when I was there and, and met with my class. And it was magical. <laughs> so it was an incredible place. You know, uh, Deepak Chopra went to Naropa. Um, many famous artists and authors also attended school there. It's just a great program. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds so interesting. Um, especially the part where you said you have to you had to spend several hours a day meditating because uh, yeah. yeah. in traditional academia, that seems counterintuitive to you know sit mm -hmm. and and not be necessarily taking in information or immediately. Yeah applying that information i don't want to say actively because all this could could be misconstrued because meditation is all of yeah. the above <laughs> yeah yeah yes because the theory is that can we really hold space for people if we're coming from that place of the the traditional academia world mm -hmm. you know in the music therapy world it's an interesting dynamic because many people believe well if you're in academia if you're a professor if you if you know the knowledge, then you're better. But in reality, when we sit with our clients, do they really need to know what we know? Do they really need to feel like we are the expert? Or do we want to empower them to believe that they are the export, expert and start where they are? Do we want to sit and hold space for their growth and their expansion? Because I think traditional academia makes it about us. And it's really not about us. So moving into that space of contemplation, presence, and truly just being with someone in the music or in the session, I think that's what's transformative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So cool. So how has that shaped and created your practice? You said you, you practice a little less traditionally than some music therapists, mm -hmm. so Tell me what yeah. that journey has been like where, you know, finding your passions and joining them and growing to where you are now. Absolutely. It's everything. It's, it's absolutely everything. By learning to be present, not only did I see a different world and was I able to tap into more vivid world to live in, but I also was able to get my ego out of the way. And that was a big thing at Naropa, was identifying the ego and trying to release it and just be present in the moment. So now in my work, when I do workshops, which is really how I mostly, I do a lot of private sessions too over Zoom now, um, but 
that is everything. Just being a part of the process for the client and allowing my ego to go. I'm not going to direct this. I don't, it, you know, there's this place when I do guided imagery. Guided imagery is my main form of connection through music. And I do crystal singing bowls. I use essential oils. I work with frequency. I also work with the traditional psycho, psychodynamic, like psychoanalytic tools and Jungian theory and mandalas and all of these things that kind of come into play. It's a very eclectic practice that I've built. And I think that's why, because once you get your ego out of the way, you realize that it doesn't have to be one way and it doesn't have to look like another music therapist. It needs to be your passions and your interests that come together to put you in your strength as a therapist so that then your ego can move out of the way and you can trust that whatever you bring, whether it's music making together or music listening or visioning or guided imagery, that you're bringing your very best, most passionate, authentic self to your client. So it's everything. And it all started with meditating. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. So guided imagery is obviously um, one of the modalities you mentioned that we're more familiar with as music therapists because it's mm-hmm. you know just part of mm-hmm. our education, not the training specifically, but to know what guided imagery is. So dive into um, how you use crystal singing bowls or essential oils for us. Like what, what drew you yeah. to those modalities and um, how, do you, how do you mix and mingle them? Yeah. Well, I'd love to. So everything that I do in my practice in my life needs to connect with my own personal near-death experience. So the first time that I was a participant in guided imagery and music with Lori Rugenstein, who's a fellow, and she was also the head of the department at Naropa, the first time I experienced it for myself with her, I felt the same way I did when I was on the other side. I felt very connected. I felt very knowledgeable. I felt very loved and held. So I knew that that would come into my work. And I went through and did some training on that early, very early on. And I recognized soon into my practice that people needed a bridge. And they need a bridge from their conscious world into the unconscious mind. And they can't always do it through progressive muscle relaxation. And I noticed it would take several sessions to kind of build up the rapport where people could move into that space of connecting to something greater. So I started playing around with different modalities and I went to a, a crystal singing bowl sound healing thing in Austin when I lived there. And the moment that I heard those bowls, I was just transfixed and taken to a different place. Now they are, kind of tuned to a different frequency. And I believe that our frequency does matter. You know, everything is sound, everything is vibration. And even the oils, which are the highest frequency substance on the planet, they they sing at a sound that we can't hear. You know, they can go up to 700 and something megahertz, right? But the crystal bowls on a physical level, you could feel them in your somatic body, in your somatic experience. And they were high frequency. And I know this now, but then I didn't understand it. All I knew was this guy was chanting. We were all meditating. We had our eyes closed. And at one moment, he started singing this Native American chant right after a vision of a medicine man was in my mind. 
And soon after that, he started singing a more popular song, you know, from the current times, just singing it. And my friend started crying. And afterwards, I asked her, I said, what was that about? And she said, you'll never believe it, but he was singing the song that represented my brother. And my brother, her twin brother had passed away a month before. Wow. So I recognized then that there was something spiritual. And, you know, transpersonal counseling does explore the spiritual realm. That's something that a lot of people feel very icky about and very strange. But if you think about it, we all are spiritual beings, whether we believe in nothing or we believe in something, we do believe in that we have a belief, we have a construct around that. So leaving that out of a therapy session is like missing a huge portion of a person. Mm. Uh, so I, I decided that the crystal bowls would be an interesting way to bridge people. We tried harp, I tried guitar, I tried piano, but the crystal bowls just, they're atonal and well, they're not atonal, they're, pit, they're pitched to one tone, but it's not like they're creating. So the visceral and somatic experience of that is what started bringing people more deeply into imagery. And when I started using oils, it just went off the charts. People started seeing things in session one that they normally wouldn't see till session six or seven. And I learned later that the oils, the oils that I was using can actually move through the neuron into the amygdala directly to shift emotion. So what they're doing is they're actually creating a physical response in the brain, reducing that fight or flight, right? Helping the vagus nerve and they can stay in the brain for up to two weeks. So my clients were loving it. I mean, they were just all about it. My, they said, listen, I just have to tell you whatever you're doing, I'm seeing more, I'm experiencing more, my life is better, my life is different much more quickly. And then they stayed. So, you know, it's very hard for me to bring in a new modality. I've tried a lot of different things, but these have stuck and they work very well. So now I train music therapists how to use these tools to enhance what they're already doing if they're interested in it. Yeah. So cool. So I am, uh, from the image you've created, I'm picturing a session in my mind and I'm going to give you two different images I have and you tell me if either is accurate or no, I've completely missed the mark. So the first <laughs> one is, um, usually when we hear of guided imagery and music, it's you, you have like a, uh, a playlist of recorded music and you kind of, um, guide and narrate for the client, right. To help them through their, the, the guided part of the imagery. Uh, but what you're saying sounds like a guided meditation with crystal bowls, um, you know, where, no, it's not that either. Okay. So, yeah. so I'm so intrigued about, again, like what does this look like at um, a very finite level when you're doing this day to day? Yeah. Well, you, you have it pretty right on. It's kind of a combination. So I took a lot of the elements that I learned from the Bonnie method training and then elements from my transpersonal training, which is much more in depth, right? Because that was three years of grad school. So the crystal bowls are the beginning and the end. They hold space, right? Mm -hmm. There's toning in there. There's a vibration. Then there is a guided meditation, visualization, usually around the crystal singing bowls and how the person is perceiving them in real time. So I either allow them to experience that on a visceral level if they're in person with me so that they can feel a change in the air and it becomes more of a body 
sinking in, you know, let them feel the waves, different parts of their body, you know, allowing it to move through and shifting it to color. Or I will, if I'm on a Zoom, I will start with the color and the light and allow them to see that sound as light because their eyes are closed and then move that through, allow that to move into the cells, allow them to see it deeper and deeper throughout the body in the cells, feeling it fill their lungs, watching the heartbeat slowly pulsing this light through their body where it needs to go until they get into a deep enough state of relaxation and their breath becomes something that I can then begin the music program. And I do use the Bonnie Method music programs in my work. And so the intention of the session is something I need to know going in. And also, before we even begin any of this, we begin with intention using the oils. Because I want the oils, if they choose to use them, which everyone loves. I mean, there's not been anyone who's not who says no. But they come to me because the these clients want major shifts. They want to connect to their higher self. They want to connect to someone maybe who's past. They want, and I know that sounds out there, right? But what they want in their mind is to connect to something greater. And I can't tell them that. And you can't tell them that. No therapist can tell them. But they own, they have their own wisdom that they can connect with this way. So I have them breathe the oils into the limbic brain knowing that it takes about 30 seconds to get directly into the amygdala. And I want them pairing this positive intention with a physical positive change in the brain because that's how we release trauma. That's how we release our past experiences. That's how we get out of fight or flight. And so this has been very, very effective for people who have PTSD, incredibly, because you can unlock the connection that the body holds with a memory by doing more in-depth work. Like, you know, if I know someone was coming in with a trauma that they want to release, well, this session would look very different, right? I would start with an active release of the memory, have them moving into the memory, use my therapy skills to, you know, get them in, maybe use a little bit of music, and then at some point go into the guided imagery. You see, so mm -hmm. I'm using it as a bridge between conscious because I want to use all that conscious thought amygdala involvement, limbic brain involvement at the beginning, get them into their head and then get them out of their head, <laughs> right? We've set the framework. We've got the brain on the right path. Now everything that it sees in the imagery is going to be connected to that. And I, if it's a one-on-one, -on -one, I can guide them. They can talk through it with me, what they see. And I can ask them, you know, when they reach a block, like this is a perfect example one woman couldn't see anything during her imagery. Everything was black. She didn't feel bad. She just was stuck. And I said, well, what does the darkness need? She said, well, it needs an axe. I was like, okay, we'll give it an axe, whatever that looks like. So she starts hacking away at the darkness. On the other side was this beautiful world. And she looked back and recognized she was in a sarcophagus. And over time, she traveled through the music, went to this beautiful world, received a message that she didn't have to be self-imposed in a cocoon, that she could live this vibrant life. She could step into her power. And that's what she needed to do. And so one-on-one -on -one is very different than the guided groups that I do, but they're all magical. And many people see animals. Animals have different meaning. And at Naropa, we studied Dr. Stephen Farmer, who is... Um, a professor 
and wrote a book about the animal totems that Native American cultures use and have used throughout the ages, different, different tribes, different nations. And it's beautiful because then you can pull out this resource and say, well, this is traditionally what a rabbit means. It means releasing fear. Does that connect with you in any way? And then it starts a conversation. And that's the processing that happens at the end. Always a, more processing than anything. So it's, it's, I love my work. I'm beyond grateful that I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like you've said, you're, you're able to tie all those things together so well. So, uh, you know, you obviously have the music and the singing bowls and the oils, which create this experience, which leads to another experience. And then you have the, uh, the therapeutic lens to do the processing after and to be able to work through that from different um, theoretic frameworks so that it sounds like it sounds like in every session you you are so able to balance and draw on those skills to to serve your clients in such a deep meaningful way um, beyond just helping them through the an experience or you know the processing verbally like marrying it all together uh sounds so yeah. cool so cool thank you yeah it's taken years and a lot of additional training to to be able to do that but i believe we can all do that we are all born with that ability to connect it's just how how can we do that and what are the ways that we are passionate about in connecting with others? And these are my passions, so I follow them. And I feel like all too often we adopt the framework in which we learn and we think that's the only way. And in the field of music therapy, honestly, I see it more and more and it, it makes me sad because I see a lot of judgment and a lot of fear instead of embracing, accepting different modalities, different ways of approaching things and knowing that this might not be the way for everyone, but it's incredibly powerful for people and incredibly helpful, life-changing. I mean, I can't take, I can't take the credit for that. I can't, but I can allow my clients to take credit and say they've seen major shifts. And isn't that what it's all about? It's not about doing it in a way that looks perfect for other music therapists. It's about working in a way that gives the client the best results, you know? So as a field, I hope that we embrace more of these alternate states and alternate modalities because we are only as vibrant as we are different in a field. Yeah. 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 And um, you're obviously reaching clientele that other music therapists, um, you know, wouldn't be able to, you know, given whatever their training and their skill set is. So, you know, for someone who's very specialized with autism, um, mm -hmm. you know, reaching yeah. your clientele would probably be pretty difficult and that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. that's that what is. Yeah, our, our scope of practice is so, so broad, <laughs> but in so it many is. ways, like it, it's, it's empowering because that means yes. you can find what works for you and adapt yeah. it as such. You can choose your own adventure. <laughs> there you go. You can, you can, yes, you can. And, you know, I worked with children that have autism for a long time and adults, and I did use elements of this, elements, you know, there are different ways that you can use this. And I have worked with people in substance abuse, mental health, uh, hospital schools, hospitals, 
children, kind of the gamut, but my preferred right now where I choose to stay and where I choose to be is in wellness. It's in wellness. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think is needed at this day and age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had a thought. Let it come back to me. <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. So for someone who is intrigued by this, intrigued by some of these modalities uh, and wants to incorporate them, explore them, do those kinds of things, do you have advice for where to get started and any cautions when diving into these, um, I don't want to say less traditional practices because these are very ancient practices, meditation, Mm -hmm. essential oils, they've they've been around a long time. So, uh, but yeah, advice for how to get started and then just what to be cautious of as you're starting out um, that you might not know to be wary of. Yeah, you know, there are music therapists like me that would love to talk to other music therapists about this and to support someone who wants to learn more. And I can't even tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who just want to call and learn and say, hey, here's what I do and how can I make it work where I am and with the population I'm working with. But we also have resources out there. Um, Music therapy and essential oils is an amazing group on Facebook. We also have an Instagram page. Um, it's more my my personal page on Instagram, but the Music Therapy and Essential Oils on Facebook, that group is incredible at alternate alternative ideas. We talk about the oils, how they work in the limbic brain. We talk about the person who won the Nobel Prize for finding out that certain oils move into the limbic brain and amygdala. Not all oils do, so I don't want The word of caution would be, don't think that all oils can do what I'm saying. It's a very specific type. And we also have all the research because I work with hospitals. I train hospitals on how to use these oils in the brain. I I have trained multiple chiefs of staff, doctors, departments, department heads, music therapists. And you can't just go out there and buy regular oils because they could actually be harmful because if they have a large cell size, they could create a, a negative response by causing an allergic reaction. But if you have the oils that are absolute pure, that have a small enough cell size that they can move through the neuron without causing any implications or negative effects, then those are the oils you want to use. You can go to Music Therapy and Essential Oils to find the questions you need to ask at the companies that you're looking at and um, look at some stories of, and research, right? Then uh, for those who want to meditate and want to start with that practice, it's a very simple practice. It does not have to be difficult. All it is really is focusing on the out-breath. Now that's Shambhala meditation, which is what I learned at Naropa, where you breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. And as you send your out-breath out, you allow the thoughts in your conscious mind to leave with the breath. And it's a constant practice. Don't expect that you will not have thoughts because we are humans and we will have thoughts the whole time. That's why it's called a practice. And just continue to do it. And one way that I was able to really integrate meditation and presence in my life was to take it outside of the meditation practice and use those same presence principles of feeling the body in space and letting go of thoughts as I was doing dishes or as I was playing music, right? 
And it's a very different experience when you bring it into your life day to day. And another cautionary tale, I would say, oh, I also have a, a course on music therapy ed about how to create this imagery experience for your clients and the framework work in which you can do it. Because there are certain things that will come up over and over in therapy that you will want to know how to deal with and how to process with your clients. And you'll want to know certain things like what have that most people start out in a place that's familiar to them because it's safe and they move into a transitory place, right? On their way to get the answer that they came to look for. So they may go down a path or float down a river or climb a mountain. And then when they reach the next place, there are certain types of language that you can use to help them move more deeply in. So I don't know if you know this, but as we, are in an imagery experience. If a client or we are using all of our senses, our hearing, sight, touch, everything, and we have someone guiding us through that, we cannot differentiate between reality and imagination. So our body will respond with lowered cortisol levels, more steady heartbeat, slower breath, all of the things that naturally would happen if we were relaxed in real life. So it's important to use all of the elements, every sensory experience you can bring in for people and be reminding them what it feels like, the soft give of the earth as they walk through the field or the gentle smell of grasses and flowers or the salty sea air, you know, putting these tips in and you can get more of that by listening to examples. So that'd be good too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I have written all those down. So I'll add them to the show notes so people can find the group, find your course. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, have those starting points. Yeah. Wonderful. And if anyone's interested in more of my near-death experience stuff, there's a, I, there's a TV show that I have on a network called the Awake TV Network. And you just look up my name and there are 12 episodes that kind of talk about the spiritual experiences that I had on the other side. And, you know, I did bring some of that with me back, you know, that's, it's not measurable, but I did bring some of the insight and wisdom from the other side back, you know, it's hard to explain, yeah. <laughs> but people who meditate, they might get it. <laughs> Is there yeah. anything like top of your mind that you want to share about that? Um, you know, people like to discredit this but I truly believe that we are surrounded by light and love constantly and I believe that we as humans have access to it and we receive messages I believe that we can receive messages and that and I've seen light beings beings of light that are around people and in my sessions that's part of what comes up you know people see it too and there's, it's so easy to discredit what we can't see. It's so easy to think that, that, well, that doesn't have a place in a session. That doesn't have a place in the world. But why not? Why not? It's part of what we live with. We know that we receive messages. We know that there are, there is something out there that's greater than us. Things can't be explained all the time. Can't, I can't explain how I'm alive otherwise. I wouldn't be here. There's no way I would be sitting here talking to you 
and not be confined to a wheelchair or if there weren't some miracle at play. Because I was kicked right in the temple. It was not a pretty picture. I was pretty deeply in a coma. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what I'm doing. I actually had a chance to give an example of my work to Jack Canfield in July. I think I told you this because um, he heard about my work and he wrote about it in the forward of a book that's coming out. You know, he wrote all the Chicken Soup for the Soul series and all that and worked with Oprah for a while. And he invited me into a very exclusive group that he created and asked me to be a facilitator in July as doing this practice that I do. And then also again in October or yeah, October, we did, we did an abundance mindset reset and he wrote a little bit about my story in that book as well. And I'm looking at maybe writing a book and getting, getting the story out a little bit. So I'm really thankful for the opportunities and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get out there a little bit more and more. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Good yeah. For you. So cool. Um, is there anything else you want to, you want to cover before we move into the rapid fire questions? No, I'm good. All right. Awesome. All right. So the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Mm-hmm. The first one is coffee or tea. T. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? I'm a night owl. I love to stay up late. In fact, it gets me into trouble sometimes because then I have to get up and get back to the real world. <laughs> yes. Something you'd tell your younger self? Uh, I would tell my younger self to step in and live big from the beginning and don't hold back based on what other people think and don't be a people pleaser just live and be proud of who you are and don't hide parts of yourself just to make other people happy hmm. your music therapy elevator speech and you can you know flip that to how you also pitch your unique use of music therapy <laughs> Wow, that's a tricky one. So my old music therapy speech, I always like to keep it really simple so people will ask me questions. Mm. And when people would ask me, what do you do? I'm a music therapist. Oh, what's that? Well, you use music to heal people. So that's kind of my little teaser. And they'd be like, what? How do you do that? Um, so now I say, oh gosh, my elevator pitch now I guess I would say, yeah, I would still kind of say the same thing. I use music and frequency and alternate states of consciousness to heal people. And they're like, altered states of consciousness? What's that? Well, it's kind of like hypnosis, but you stay conscious enough to receive messages from your higher self and go into a deep relaxation and you feel amazing spiritual connections through the crystal singing bowls and oils. People are sold. I mean, they like I met someone for at coffee yesterday I was picking up coffee and we had our masks on and we started talking and so I told I usually kind of lead in with that you know she said well so what do you do I'm a music therapist I came out of a coma when I was 12 and that's what I do now and that is kind of that led to a whole 30 minute conversation she's an artist she's fascinated she's yeah it's, it was it's great so something that connects to us, but that is interesting and gives people something to ask more about is what I usually try to do. <laughs> yeah. It's important to create yeah. that dialogue. 
Mm-hmm. Your favorite self-care practice? Essential oils, 100%. Every day, and I try to do this more and more, I put valor on my feet and I ask, where would you have me go? If I'm asking source, right? Joy on my heart, what would you have me do? I put harmony on my wrists and throat, what would you have me say? And divine release and release on the back of my neck and to whom? And in asking those questions, it's interesting because you train your mind to think differently, right? So as you're asking questions, your mind is looking for answers. And if you begin your day and end your day with those questions, you find possibilities that you didn't know existed before. So that has changed my life completely since starting to do that. And I love vision boarding, which I have behind me. I've got my oils on the wall. I also love um, visioning before I go to sleep of the things that I want to bring into my life. And I have a $100,000 fake bill taped to my bedside table so that when I wake up, I see it every morning. <laughs> yeah, that law of attraction stuff. Oh, I'm deep into that right now. Yes. I was actually one of the, when I did that facilitation in October was one of the facilitators helping with the same people who wrote The Secret. Mm. So Lisa Burns came on and she did our speech and then Bob Proctor and of course Jack Canfield and all these amazing people were there for us to listen to. And I've been learning so much about the law of attraction and putting that into the music therapy and essential oils group because we have smaller groups that are kind of forming out of that. And we, we have affirmations that we're saying together with the oils. There's an abundance oil. It's been very fun. Very fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so for someone, I'll take a side tangent. Um, yeah. Not even a tangent. Side question. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there like one essential oil or um, essential oil blend that you'd recommend for like a newbie who has no idea where to start? Well, yes. So we're doing this vocal health protocol. Well, there are three. Vocal health protocol is something we send out as samples for people right now who are music therapists who are trying to kind of heal their voice and help support their voice right now. Raven is a eucalyptus blend by Young Living that's incredibly good at supporting the voice. Thieves is another blend. It's got orange, clove, rosemary, lemon, and this is one that's known to boost the immune system. And it kind of comes out of a story of the 15th century where people were suffering from the Black Plague and people were dying and all the gypsies were living and they were stealing the money from the dead bodies and the king caught them and said, well, we'll give you a lesser sentence if you can tell us how you're staying well. And they had this particular blend of herbs dried around their neck and it helped to fight and boost the immune system. And so that's one. And that's the one our nurses use in the in the hospitals. They diffuse it at the stations to keep from taking things home with them. Hmm. So that would be, and then if you're thinking about a voice, it's a, it doesn't taste good or smell good, but there's a blend called Digize and it's a digestive blend and I have celiac disease. So for me, I need whatever I can do to help my stomach. So this Digize is a blend of fennel, which I can't stand the smell of and peppermint and ginger and all the things that help stomachs. And so it's really good on the stomach, but Singers have found that if they put a drop under their tongue and hold it for 30 seconds, because it's dig- you can ingest it as well. Young Living Oils, you can ingest most of them. It also helps to clear up the voice before um, going on stage. That 
that was taught to me by an opera singer. So I would say those three would be three of the big ones, but, and they all do different things. So Raven is a lung support oil, but it also helps to reduce grief and sadness and frustration. Thieves, which is immune boosting, also helps with global uncertainty. So when you diffuse it, it's cinnamony. It helps people feel safer. They feel better within 30 seconds. Um, so it's kind of amazing. They're, they're all incredible. <laughs> yeah. But my favorite oil is Valor. Well, right now, my favorite oil is Joy and Valor because Joy brings, um, it, it's the same frequency that love is when in the human body. So the same frequency of the plants come together for that one. It's very floral. And then Valor increases confidence and grounding and security. It's, it's also good for um, jaw. You put it under your jaw for clenching teeth. So it's, I don't know. They're all so good. <laughs> I, that was a tough question. <laughs> all right. ah, can't pick one. <laughs> all right. Uh, something that's currently adding value to your life. Ooh, right now, I feel like we just need to be building in anything of joy. So turning off media is adding joy to my life mm. right now. Uh, this practice of constantly checking in and connecting, meditating. I love to take essential oil Epsom salt baths. You know, I can't take them as much, but being in water is bringing joy. Everything brings joy. I'm having a lot of joy. I'm in love right now, which is a beautiful experience, um, especially because I left um, a marriage, well, a marriage dissolved about a year ago so that brings joy and I have a puppy and he's getting neutered today so it's kind of a sad tough day he's not here with me but he brings me a lot of joy and my children bring me joy of course good congratulations by the way thank you <laughs> lots of new things yeah uh your favorite intervention or song to use in a session and like your elevator oh. speech you can you know twist this to fit your expertise Oh my gosh, my favorite piece is uh, the humming. Uh, what is it? Now I need to look at my phone. We'll look it up on my phone. It's from Madam Butterfly, the humming chorus. Let me see. I just want to get it right because, you know. Yeah. But it is the most powerful. Let's see, from my library, Humming Chorus from Madam Butterfly. That's it. Cool. So it, when I invite people to call in love and surround themselves with love, either by ancestors, healers, teachers, guides, animals, whatever it is, this piece can call them in so quickly. People can really experience that feeling of being surrounded by love. So I love that one for that right now. And it's very short, though, so, it, you know, you have to adapt your language to get into that two minutes. But it's very good as a part of a whole. I would never, you know, it's always part of that bigger experience. Awesome. The last question is, where can the listeners find you and connect with you? It's easiest to find me on Facebook. I have a website, wellnessmusictherapy.com, but it is so outdated <laughs> that I, I really am embarrassed. It doesn't have anything current on it. Uh, and also music therapy and essential oils on Instagram. You can email me at wellnessmusictherapy, it was Ellen at wellnessmusictherapy.com. 
And uh, of course, you can find me on Apple if you search for my name, Ellen Wheelton. There are six or seven radio interviews about my near-death experience. And also on the Awake TV network, um, I do have that series. And um, you can find, I have a publication in the, just most recent publication in the John Hopkins um, Muse. Actually, is it called Muse? Gosh, I need to, I'll get you the details of that. But it's, uh, it's how to support a person who's had a near-death experience in the medical field. And so, you know, I found that a lot of people want to discredit it or tell you that it's not real when you've had a near-death experience. But in reality, this is life-changing for people. Lives completely turn on a dime after someone comes close to death and they decide to live a different way that can really help others. So I think it's important as a practitioner to support that journey, whether you believe it or not, you know, because mm. it's real for the client, real for the patient. Um, it's That's interesting phrasing because I did my internship at a state hospital. Ah. And that's one of the things we, we were using... Michael's Game. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael's Game, but uh, basically there's playing cards and they have a scenario. And then as a group, you kind of discuss um, Michael's interpretation of the scenario. And one of the things was to allow the group to explore their own interpretations, even if to you they don't make sense because that's their reality. Yes. And that's not to say that anyone who has had a near death experience um, should reside in a psych psych hospital. But <laughs> it's no, just no, interesting no. <laughs> that, you know, those those things tie together because you're it's it's such a uh, a big concept that everyone's reality is different. <laughs> it is a big concept. It yeah. is. And it's it's interesting too when it comes to near death experiences. Because there are doctors and brilliant people who never believed in them and then had their own experience and then came back to say, hey, listen, mm -hmm. there is something, something to this that I want to share. And by speaking their story, they actually can help many. But if they had been shut down at the beginning, you know, simply because of prejudice or belief, difference in belief, then... They would never share that and make all these great changes in the world. I found the name of it. It's actually the Narrative Inquiry and Bioethics. I have a publication there. It's, uh, the, it's a journal of qualitative research. So the NIB, not Narrative Inquiry and Bioethics, awesome. is where, my, where you can find it. And it's called Healthcare After a Near-Death Experience. Got it. Yeah. Well, I will make sure to link all of those so that the listeners can find them as well as all the ways to connect with you and other resources that you mentioned today. Thank yeah. you for making the time to be on the show and um, sharing your story and yeah, being open to showing us all a, a different way to practice and that we we should all embrace that our own unique gifts in our practice mm -hmm. yeah oh thank you that's a great way to put it that's really what it's all about I think many people live in fear or I did live in fear of what other people will think and then 
it causes you to live small and you don't live in your place of creating an authenticity that really is what it's about. That's what, what it's about. If we really want to help people, how, how can we do that if we're not using our unique expression of ourselves? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm, authenticity. So important. <laughs> so important. Yes. yes. Well, thank you again. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Enjoy it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, learned something, maybe felt inspired to, um, explore some different modalities either in your own self-care or with your music therapy practice Uh, again we all have to dive into our own passions our own skill set and just embrace that embrace that so much so that we can be the best personal and professional people that we can be I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. And again, please check out MT Podcast Collective. That's the Music Therapy Podcast Collective. We are doing exciting things with creating CMTE opportunities through our podcasts. We have lots of creative ideas for how to make this project grow, uh, how to better serve you, our listeners, and we're, we're really excited about it. It's a great way to support the shows that you're listening to each week, um, and it's a great way to let us know how we can continue to serve you, you know, what you need, um, and ways that we can provide more services other than just a free episode each week. So again, please check out MT Podcast Collective on Instagram, online, on Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, And we really, we really appreciate your support. Lastly, if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please let me know by shooting an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. This show isn't possible without our guests, so we so appreciate them for making the time to be on the show, but I would love to know who you'd like to hear on the show as well. So again, that email is hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Oh, and one more thing. The episode feedback survey is always at the bottom of the show notes, so you can find it, uh, and that's a safe space to offer any anonymous feedback on the show, the episodes. Um, Yeah, I am open to that type of feedback. Again, that's a safe space to uh, for you to give it and for me to receive it so that I can continue improving the Music Therapy Chronicles so I can continue serving our community better, more thoroughly, uh, and more in general. So please uh, feel free to use that space to create any dialogue. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Our quote this week comes from John Acuff, and it reads, be brave enough 
to be bad at something new.